From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On the program today, we have Rob Ballinger, who's the Bottomwoods Hardwood and Wetland Program Coordinator for Wildlife Mississippi. We'll discuss this year's waterfowl. Duck hunting season is about to open, and we'll talk about what can be expected this year and how lands are being prepared and cared for so the migratory birds expected can have the proper habitat for them to flourish. And as always, we welcome your pet questions for Dr. Major and general wildlife questions and experiences you want to share. To join the conversation, give us a phone call. It's 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On the program today, we have Rob Ballinger, who's the Bottomland Hardwoods and Wetland Program Coordinator for Wildlife Mississippi. We'll talk about this year's waterfowl. Duck hunting season is about to open, and we'll talk about what can be expected this year and how lands are being prepared and cared for so that the migratory birds expected can have the proper habitat for them to flourish. As always, we welcome your pet questions for Dr. Major and any general wildlife questions or experiences that you'd like to share. You join the conversation with a phone call. It's one eight seven seven. MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, there is a repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at six. So good morning to everyone. Hope everyone is doing well today. Good. good Very morning. good. Good morning. Uh, Libby, anything going on at the museum to to talk about? Let's see. They just sent me some information. Wild About Gobblers is going (laughs) on on the 21st. That's Tuesday from 9 to 12. All kinds of activities about birds in general and wild turkeys in particular. So maybe not the turkey you're going to be eating on your table. (laughs) Although I hope there's some people out there that eat wild turkey for Thanksgiving. But uh, Adam Butler from uh, Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks is going to be talking about wild turkeys. And he does a great job with with kids of all ages. So he'll be good. Yeah. And uh, a reminder that they've got a lot going on before and after, but they're closed at the museum Thursday and Friday. So okay. don't don't drive up there. Stay home and eat turkey those exactly. two days. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll say my uh, warning or guess or advice for folks for Thanksgiving is uh, take small portions because there's always so much good stuff that you want to eat. And if you try to eat too much, you're not you're not going to get to everything. So just take very like just a half a <laughs> serving of each thing so that you can enjoy all the good food that uh, comes along with Thanksgiving. And my advice is to take nice long walks outside in between your <laughs> in between your your meals. Well that you're right. Yes. I I forgot about that. that's the other kind of funny thing yeah. about Thanksgiving. It's it's not just one time. It's like usually I think a lot of folks maybe sit down around noon somewhere around in there and everybody en- mm-hmm. enjoys it, but you're right. There's always uh, go raid the leftovers in the evening. But yeah. so yeah, a good long walk 
uh, between time will certainly help you avoid that uh, the the turkey hangover that we sometimes yeah, all you'll get. feel better about yourself <laughs> too at least if you walk around the block or uh, get out in the woods a little bit. A reminder today, our guest is Rob Ballinger, who is the Bottomwood, the Bottomland Hardwoods and Wetland Program Coordinator for Wildlife Mississippi. Rob, thanks for being on the program with us again. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Uh, remind us, if you would, a little bit about your background. Well, I'm a certified wildlife biologist. I, I originally grew up in the state of Iowa, uh, moved to Arkansas, and attended college there in Arkansas. And then my first job out of college was here in Mississippi and have been here ever since. So, All right. And so um, what are bottomland hardwoods? Bottomland hardwoods are basically, uh, we, are, we are blessed to have a lot of bottomland hardwoods in, in Mississippi, uh, particularly in the Delta area. Uh, it's just an ecosystem with native tree species, you know, wetland-type soils, wetland-type plants, uh, very beneficial to all kind of, you know, wildlife that we have here in Mississippi. And then how would we define wetlands? Uh Typically, they're defined by the soils and the type of plants that grow there. Uh, you know, they're wetland-type soils. We have seasonal wetlands, you know, that, that actually we use for waterfowl uh, that, that were impounding water at this time of year or, or different areas flood this time of year. And again, are we speaking primarily of the Delta or are there other parts of Mississippi where this habitat? All, all parts of Mississippi, mm-hmm. yes, sir. When you think about how many rivers we've got in this day, mm-hmm. every river's got lots of little tributary creeks, then um, really probably everybody's kind of close to a wetland somewhere. They are, and I would, I would guess the seasonal-type wetlands are more, more common to the Delta area. Okay. Um, so what kind of birds uh, live or migrate in, in these areas? Oh, goodness, all, all kinds of birds. And as, as far as waterfowl, you know, we have a few resident species of waterfowl that, that basically live their entire life here in the state of Mississippi, never leave. Uh, wood duck would be one. Uh, black-bellied whistling ducks are now starting to show up. We've had those uh, primarily in the South Delta for the last several years. Canada geese, we have resident flocks of Canada geese that, that stay here year-round. But we have, golly, at, at any given time, you know, during the, during the winter migration, we could have up to two dozen species of waterfowl, you know, in the state. And I guess maybe is it a combination between the temperature and the habitat that we have here that that makes it so attractive for some of these waterfowl it is it we 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 were talking about it before the show it's 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 a lot of it's weather driven uh and and obviously food driven as well you know the colder temperatures and when you get the snow and the ice and things tend to freeze up further north the birds have to move south we're going to be visiting with uh, Rob Ballinger throughout the program. So if you have a question about uh, wa- uh, waterfowl in Mississippi, you can give us a call. Uh, Dr. Major is here, ready to take a pet question. And also, uh, just if you've had a brush with wildlife, give us a call. Let us know about it. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So I think we had you on the show back in February, and you talked about a couple of projects and developments or projects that were going on. Uh, if you could remind us about some of those and any possible new developments in that. Most of what I work on uh, with our organization is is we do a lot of contra- contractual work with National Resource Conservation Service on wetland reserve easements, uh, and, and I work on those in Mississippi, Louisiana, and in Arkansas. Uh, and so we, we are actually in the process of moving dirt right now on a big WRPE project in LaFleur County. 
Uh, and when I say moving dirt, we are actually in the process of restoring the hydrology on that track. It's been in agriculture for years. We're going back in, kind of restoring some of the, the, the wetlands that were there and, and give the, the landowners the ability to, to be able to manage for waterfowl and wetland-dependent species. Okay. So and those are private lands? They are, they are private lands that we're working on. Yeah. Yes. So in other words, then the the land is still owned by the the landowner, but they've decided uh, that they want to return the land that was originally probably for waterfowl. They it was now been in agriculture for a while, and now you're helping them sort of return it back to its natural condition. Yes, sir. Once once we finish with the with the hydrology restoration portion of it, we'll go back in and plant bottomland hardwood species in the areas where we did not reach, restore the hydrology ridge and swale type stuff. We're we focus our hydrology in the swales, obviously, and, and do our, you know, our bottomland hardwood planting up on the ridges and that sort of thing. And hydrology means uh, wetland functions. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, so, how long when you when you start to work on an area? Uh, how long does the whole process take to sort of revert it back to uh, to the wetlands type of uh, habitat? Oh, it, it takes quite a while. Now, now the the hydrology restoration portion of it, you see results almost immediately. We we we'll, we started moving dirt on this track actually on Monday, uh, and it's about a six hundred acre track. Um, we'll probably be done with the hydrology restoration portion of it within a couple of weeks. The the bottomland hardwood restoration portion of it kind of takes a while. Uh, they'll they'll see results from a waterfowl standpoint, wetland, you know, wading birds that type of thing they'll see results from that next year when you finish this does it end up then basically looking like creeks and streams and things again or how do you make not really it's more in the fashion of a slough or a break uh if you're familiar with like uh, like cypress tupelo breaks that sort of thing is but we we tend to try to keep these open uh to have areas you know, for waterfowl to utilize and, and wading birds and shorebirds and that sort of thing. So the tree paying portion of it, like I said, it'll take, gosh, six, seven years before the trees. It, it'll basically look like a weed field for mm-hmm. five or six years, and then, then all of a sudden you'll see the trees start to break the weed line, and after that they really start to take off, and then you start to see some some results. So once you do that sort of work, uh, what the landowner, is it easier to maintain this type of habitat than it would have been uh, when it was used for agricultural purposes? I don't know if it's easier. We, we make it where it's very easy for them to maintain, you know, the, the hydrology areas that we work on. Obviously there's upland food plots that they deal with, you know, for upland dependent species. And uh, we make it very easy with the structures and the type of things that we do for them to, to be able to manage the water. And that's the key thing in, in trying to do waterfowl management is being able to, get the water on and get the water off and do it in a timely fashion and in a, in a manner that's easy. And, you know, if it's not easy, a lot of them don't want to go to the trouble to do it. So mm-hmm. we try to make it as easy as possible, and and uh, it, it works very well. All right. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got a caller on the line, uh, and we're looking for your call as well. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We're talking about waterfowl today with our guest Rob Ballinger from the Miss, uh, from Wildlife Mississippi. We'll be back with more after this. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking waterfowl today with Rob Ballinger, the Bottomland Hardwoods and Wetland Program Coordinator for Wildlife Mississippi. We've got some open phone lines, so if you have a question for us today, the number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 672 7464. You can also email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Our first caller is Bill, who has a pet question for us. Good morning, Bill. Hey, guys. Little deer. I've got a, a rescue feline. It's probably a year old, I suppose. Last night, it, as I was moving some stuff around, it kind of tumbled out of a blanket, near lifeless, it seemed. But then the more I fooled with it, uh, I was looking over for broken bones, legs, out of kilter or bite marks or blood with a nose and eye and so forth. I didn't see anything that happened to it traumatic, but it's like it's on a deep sleep, not comatose exactly. And it responds to stimulus. You tickle its ear, it moves its paw up to bat you away and and all the eyes are closed, and uh, I'm sort of I'm, I'm a little mystified as to what I do next. I mean, I've taken a bit of that certainly, but but uh, before then, yeah. what what do you think? Has it had a traumatic event in its life? Okay. I, I just yeah. don't see what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And it was fine late, earlier in the day. Fine in the daylight hours. This was at night. Yeah. It happened. I might have just right. crawled up in the blanket to to find a little nest. But uh, yeah, it was healthy eating. Where's right. the rescue cat? Because I don't know what much right. about its history. How long? How long have you had it? Oh, month, I guess. Okay, and it's been perfectly normal up until perfectly now. Normal. Yeah, healthy. Th- I, I'd that, say robust and healthy. Things I would think about would be. You know, it's hard to imagine. It sounds like the cat was already in in some problem when it fell out of the blanket. Uh, That's my thinking from what you said. I believe Uh, so. I would say also that uh, if it's not in pain, that we may be looking at more like a, I I just wonder if it might be some medication or something the cat could have gotten into, uh, possibly. I don't don't think so. The area is fairly confined. Right. And I was using it to contain a, uh, and that might be a clue, I was using right. it to contain uh, about a 30-pound female dog that's just coming into heat. And I've never noticed her to cause any problems right. in particular, but she is territorial, you know. Right. And if there are no marks on her, it's, it's, a, it's a puzzle. And I, I say you're going to need to get her into your vet and let them look over. I would say that uh, neurological signs usually don't come on that suddenly, but it's possible. Uh, but it sounds like she's more in a coma, uh, if you will, yep. th- than anything else. So that's the reason I mentioned possible, you know, some sort of uh, drug-induced problem. But uh, get her into your vet, and certainly uh, if you find out, give us a call next week and let us know what, what they found. But good luck with her. All right, Bill, appreciate your call. Uh, next we've got our buddy Tim on the line from Louisiana. Good morning, Tim. Go ahead. Good morning. This is a question about the National Wetlands Inventory. You know, the USGS did years ago after George Bush said no net loss of wetlands. 
and I'm seeing destruction of wetlands that I know are on the inventory. You know, they're just land leveling right into them. And I thought there was supposed to be a, like a protection uh, facet to that um, program. I guess, to clarify, when you're talking about destruction of wetlands, what exactly are you, what exactly are you seeing there? I'm seeing um, land leveling right into them and turning them into farmland. Uh, yeah, that would that would have to be a determination of of you know what that actual land is determined as. It may be determined as farmed wetlands, you know. Which if if it if that's the case, you know, I'm I'm certain most of them guys are going through their local NRCS or FSA office uh, to look at you know what's eligible to be land level and what's not. Um, uh-huh. You know, as far as wetlands being destroyed, that you may see wetlands being destroyed, but in most cases, if it's if it's industry or whether it's, you know, infrastructure, highway, that type of stuff, they're, they're usually mitigating for it somewhere else. Yes, I understand that. But th- in, th- in this case, this is just farmland. You know, I, I see the stuff listed. You know, there's that nice mapping program that UG- USGS came out with I don't know, 15 years ago on the web, and you just go to their site, and you can see every wetland delineated. Hmm. Yes, you know, yes, sir. I'm, I'm not familiar with that, but, you know, like I said, I, I I feel certain they have to be working through FSA or NRCS to, to be able to go out there and land for them because most times there's some cost-share programs through Equip and stuff like that that are, that are assisting these landowners in doing that type of work. So FSA or NRCS, they're, they're not going to be – out there damaging wetlands. I, I just, you know, Tim, you might want to call your local NRCS office in Louisiana. What and, what parish, Tim? Yeah. Thank you. What uh, what parts of t- Louisiana are you from, Tim? Um, well, uh, I'm in uh, Morehouse Parish, okay. uh, uh, near Bastrop. Yeah. But yeah, maybe uh, try to call the local folks there and see uh, what you can find out. But yeah, and that way you could tell them what specific land you're talking about, and they could give you an answer because there ought to be an answer to that question, really. All right, Tim, good yeah. to hear from you. Thanks for the call. We've got some open phone lines on creature comforts. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always send an email to e- uh, animals at mpbonline.org. Rob, you mentioned the term mitigation, and that's pretty much just kind of trading. In other words, if 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 they allow something to go on in one part of land, they, they're, they're sort of giving up another tract of land? Yes, sir, that's correct. If, if, if they're doing detrimental work in a wetland somewhere, then, then they have to mitigate for that somewhere else in a, in a comparable scenario. And oftentimes, uh, I'm not real familiar with how all that works, but if you destroy an acre of wetlands, there are times, I think there's times when you have to mitigate two acres mm-hmm. uh, for that. So, and, and we do quite a bit of mitigation work. I'm not involved in a lot of it other than the restoration portion of it. Uh, so, but yeah, that's, that's how that works. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge uh, when, when involved with, with restoring uh, land to, uh, to wetlands? Uh there's a lot of challenges, actually, uh, depending on the landscape. You know, when you have rich swale type stuff, it's, it's fairly simple. Um, you know, everything that we do through WRE, we go out and do a topographic survey. We're taking 
you know, elevation shots every 50 foot on the, on the entire property. And then we sit down and look at that, uh, and devise a, an overall plan looking at that entire landscape. It may be 600 acres. It may be 20 acres. Uh, but, but we sit down and, and look at what's possible to do, uh, and how we can easily, most easily do that to, to put it back into the function that it, that it once was. Are there a lot of, of man, human-related activities that that uh, that you have to undo, I guess, to get these lands back uh, into uh, to wetlands? Typically, not really. Uh, you know, there may be some ditching and and things to drain certain areas that that will go in there and either take structures out or put ditch plugs in or something like that. So, man-made stuff that that would be the biggest you know hurdle that we have just uh, trying to drain stuff that we're trying to restore back into wetlands so all right uh, we've got another caller on the line why don't we go to horn lake and invite david into the program good morning david good morning thank you for taking my call sure go ahead i got a question about squirrels i live in the in the city limits and uh squirrels have no natural predators and uh uh <laughs> they're cl- climbing over my roof and they're trying to get in my house i guess because they know it's winter time and trying to find them a place to nest uh is uh can you give me some suggestions on uh, some kind, something that will help repel them, or maybe if if live trapping is an option, what kind of bait would I use? Oh goodness, live trapping probably would be your best option as far as what type of bait to use. I, I don't know. Um, peanut butter. Yeah, peanut butter. Peanut butter. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're basically yeah. a rodent. So yeah, I mean, peanut butter mixed with oatmeal or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, live trapping. Um, of course, I've got. At my house, I've got three dogs, so the squirrels tend to uh, <laughs> tend to keep their distance from the house. Yeah, I had a, a a good old friend that told me that the best squirrel protection was a nice big corn snake. <laughs> and yeah, if if you're if you're blessed with a a snake that that stays at its business and doesn't bother you, then he'll eat those those squirrels. But that's a tough one when you're in town. Well, actually, I live in the city limits, and I got three big oak trees in my yard, and they—I mean, I count like twenty-two of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just breeding like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, and you know, you can—you might talk. What town? Oh, you live in Horn Lake. Yeah, Horn Lake. I live in the city, so I mean, shooting is no option. And uh, yeah, and you might talk to your whatever your animal uh, control. They probably have nuisance. Yeah, some kind of animal control. Troy, you think you would have luck going there? It depends. It'd, it'd be a very individual thing. The main thing you need to be sure is that there are no uh, possible openings in the house, in the attic. Uh, that would be important, and do uh, periodic checks of that just to be sure that they aren't gnawing. There aren't any real good repellents that I know of that would that would work. Uh, as Libby said, corn snake, dogs in the yard. I don't know if you have a dog or not, but they would um, probably torment a dog with that many squirrels. But uh, good luck. Uh, there are some other things, but check with your local uh, animal control and see if they have any suggestions. But I think live trapping is going to be your best bet. All right. Thank you. All right, David. Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, I, I know when uh, I was growing up, uh, we had a dachshund, and he used to love to run out and, and you know, uh, scare off the squirrels. I think uh, all dogs are – very bold when it comes to it, and so I think that they would enjoy that and get a couple out there, and that might help keep your squirrel population down as well. Right. Yeah, we've and, got chipmunks where we are, and I love to watch them, and they're, you know, how cute chipmunks are, but my husband's not so enthralled not with so. them. They've done so much damage to our air conditioning and heating system. 
on the same note with squirrels, I don't know if y'all saw it on TV or not, but uh, there's a guy that has a service squirrel now, which we live in a strange age, but uh, he says the squirrel helps him with PTSD, so uh, hopefully that's true. But anyway, the neighbors are complaining about it, but... uh, he, he oh, it's complaining a, about his squirrel? His service squirrel, yeah. Oh, it must be a bold squirrel. It's driving it's, them nuts. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, wonder if they have one of those little little sweaters for the squirrel to wear. And uh, Could you possibly get a squirrel on a leash? I can't imagine that. Yeah. This is Creature Comforts. We're visiting today with Rob Ballinger, the Bottomland Hardwoods and Wetland Program Coordinator for Wildlife Mississippi, talking about uh, waterfowl today. If you have a question or a pet question for Dr. Major, give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Dan has called in from Lee County. Dan, good morning. Go ahead, please. You're on the air. Uh, this is meant as no disrespect to your guests, but uh, if you're talking turkey in Mississippi, and I mean that literally, you need to have Preston Pittman on. Uh, um, I've got several of his mouth calls, and uh, I believe he's part turkey sometimes. I've <laughs> seen him do his uh, little skit where the Tom and the Jake are uh, uh, sort of trying to outcall each other and uh i just uh think the world of preston and uh so you're thinking i need to send him tuesday to the natural science museum yeah i think actually he has done programs for him up there before i would wholeheartedly agree with you i think when you're talking turkey the first thing that comes to my mind is i'm I'm a diehard turkey hunter and yeah that preston Pittman. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good suggestion. We'll try to get Preston on the radio. Give him a call if you're good friends and tell him he needs to do the show. (laughs) All right, Dan, thanks for calling in today. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Actually, first, let's uh, take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue our conversation with Rob Ballinger from uh, Wildlife Mississippi. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Libby, hold on. We'll get to your call right after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Rob Ballinger, the Bottomland Hardwoods and Wetland Program Coordinator for Wildlife Mississippi. We've been talking about uh, waterfowl and also taking some pet questions. And, again, if you have any sort of general wildlife question or observation, please feel free to call in. Back to the phone lines we go, starting in Ocean Springs. Libby has called in today. Good morning, Libby. Hi. I just wanted to comment about the man that had all the squirrels. Okay. If he really wants to get rid of them and doesn't mind their getting killed, all he needs to do is get a cat or two. Aha. Uh-huh. And they will take care of them. <laughs> All right. All right, let me. Thank you. Thanks for the call. So, a dog or a cat? I, 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 cats and squirrels. I don't know. I think I've ever seen that, but I, that would be an interesting uh, battle, I would think. It depends on the cat. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, probably. They're good so. stalkers, and they can they can come up with some things. Maybe they could work together. You know, kind of the dogs could get a herd them all into one area of the yard, and then the cats could spring on. Oh, them. you you know that dogs and cats are going to work together. Well, you really can't, well. you yeah. can't hurt squirrels. Okay. <laughs> no squirrel hurting. Okay, no, that's right. that's only in the cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> We're staying on the phone lines, and we are off to the woods. J.J. has called in today. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you for being there. All right. Um, I live here, and I literally live in the middle of the Red Creek Wildlife Management Area. I have the only house that's in dead center. So uh, I used to have turkeys back here. I used to keep a good count up. We had uh, 33 animals, and we had 11 toms. And don't you know that we have a healthy bobcat population now, and we are now out of turkey. I want to know if there is any way that the state can bring some down this way and release them into the Red Creek Wildlife Management Area and find a way to reduce this bobcat population. Because, also, uh, me and some of my neighbors, we have chickens, of course. And these bobcats have decided they like our chickens. Of course, my, my I don't get bothered by them because I use talk radio to keep them away, and it does work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. If you have chickens and you got predators, turn on talk radio and do not turn it off. They will not come. It's been three years since I've lost an animal on my property using talk radio. Do you now, do you put the radio out in the chicken yard? I do. I do. I, well, I keep it in the barn close by, and you don't have to turn it up loud. You just turn it down to a to a where you can barely hear it. The predators they can hear it real good because that's what they're looking for. Something that can get them. So will it work with MPB? You need to change channels and see if that works. <laughs> oh, no. MPB doesn't go off until the music comes on, and I'll put it on 103.1 or 104.9. Those channels work also. But, uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a long while since I've lost them. But uh, the turkeys, on the other hand, the bobcats are out there in the woods with the turkeys, and they're getting the turkeys, and we are annihilated of turkeys. And we also have, what is it now? We have three bears in the area. I'm not sure how good a turkey hunter they are, but they're here. I'm glad to see them roaming around. But uh, somebody bring me some turkeys, please. Yeah, I don't. I don't think bears are going to bother your turkeys whatsoever. And now the predators, on the other hand, are are an issue with with turkeys. Uh, and and I do know the state used to do some restocking. They had a lot of restocking efforts back in the past. Whether they're they're still doing that or not, I don't know. Um, but that that would be who you would need to call would be the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, especially because that is a WMA. Um, Send would, an email to Adam Butler. Absolutely. And ask him what's going on. Yeah. All right, uh, JJ. Thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's continue on. Uh, next, uh, Gloria is on the line. Gloria, where are you calling from? Fayette, Mississippi. Okay. What do you have for us? Oh, I was calling about the squirrels. Okay. They're in my loft. I heard something for a while, just like they were walking up there. And so one day I was sitting on the porch and it started raining, and I saw the squirrel run toward the house like he was coming in the house, and he went in a pillar. Anyway, um, I Googled it, and they don't like mothballs, but I haven't put enough up across the whole roof to get them totally out of there. Okay. But they hate mothballs. All right. Because I saw the hole. When I saw the hole that he went in, I put mothballs in there. So when he tried to go back in, he went over by the wires, the electric wires to the house. Okay. Bypass the mothballs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, All if right. you can plug up those holes. 
Exactly. Yeah, that'll help you. All right. Thank uh, you. Thanks Bye. for the call, Glory. Good suggestion. As, as uh, Dr. Major uh, mentioned earlier, anytime you're dealing with any kind of creature that's getting in uh, to your attic or any parts of your house, you really do have to good job of, of you know, find, trying to figure out where they're getting in. Uh, and once you get them out, maybe temporarily or whatever, to make sure you're plugging up those holes. And I would imagine a squirrel could squeeze in through a, a pretty small opening. So you really have to be uh, diligent about trying to uh, keep them out of there because, uh, you know, if they, uh, they're very persistent. If they want to get somewhere, I think they're going to keep trying until uh, they get in. We've got uh, Sue from Beaumont on the line. Good morning, Sue. Hi. I'd like to ask a question about deer. Okay. Uh, I saw this old black and white movie made in Finland years, years ago. And it was a silent movie, but it was a big melodrama. But these, these Laplanders uh, are from Finland, I suppose, because that's where the movie was made. And they, they had these big herds of deer. And they had, I didn't know you could tame a deer. They had these one deer harnessed up, pulling a sled, and one was pulling a man uh, on skis. And uh, all these deer had big racks of antlers, so you couldn't tell, you know, male or female. But can a deer actually be tamed to do things like that? Yeah, those those were actually reindeer. I'm guessing if 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 yeah. it was if, if if you know if it was there and they actually have reindeer farms in that part of the world. So yeah, and that's why they're called reindeer, mm-hmm. R E I N, because that's you right. can put reins on them. Yeah. So 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 deer around here, you couldn't do that though, huh? No, ma'am, I wouldn't think so. Sue, so unless you find one with a red nose, then you'll be able to go on to something. I think. All right. Uh, thanks for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join the conversation this morning. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 So when we talk about uh, duck and waterfowl in Mississippi, uh, Rob, is, is, would you describe the population as, as healthy? Yes, yeah, the population's doing very well, and, and of course, that's that's reports from the breeding grounds that we get from the prairie pothole region uh, as they migrate down through here. As we were talking about earlier, that's all weather weather driven. Uh, it's it's you know when things get cold, snow cover and freezing temperatures where they're not you know allowed access to food, then they don't have any choice but to move south. So things look good, and uh, it's all dependent on the weather about you know our migration and you know what we get here. So. Now, you were saying you saw a lot of ducks coming down. I did see a lot this morning on the way down here. Saw saw a couple different groups of mallards and saw a, just a, a huge group of gadwall and teal, and they were actually very close to town right there in Yazoo City as you come come along the north end of Yazoo City there. So, so if somebody wants to go see ducks, that would that, be a good place to go. That would probably huh? be a good place because there, there was quite a few, you know, several several hundred, maybe even close to a 1,000. Right there, and you know we've we've started to see. Uh, of course, I've been seeing white-fronted geese for probably a couple of weeks, and they're they're typically the first ones to come. Seen some fairly good-sized flocks of snows already. Uh, you know, flocks of mallards here and there. So it it were early, but you know it it's starting already. And uh, what is the most prevalent duck we would find in Mississippi? What species? Well, I guess that all depends on the year. The the, the most uh, prize duck in Mississippi obviously would be a greenhead, a mallard. That's that's what everybody goes for. There there have been many years where the gadwall made up the biggest part of the bag. Uh, so a lot of gadwalls, a lot of mallards, pintails, uh, widgeon, uh, northern shovelers, and then of course we got uh, just a vast array of diving ducks that 
like to stay on the river or oxbows, and they also, you know, utilize catfish industry in the interior delta. So. Um, and there are some ducks that stay here year-round, is that right? Yes, sir. Wood ducks. We have wood ducks that never leave the state of Mississippi. Uh, black-bellied whistling ducks will stay here. Uh, matter of fact, when they do migrate, they probably go south from here. So we're probably at the northern northern edge of their of their range. You know, I wonder if wood ducks actually would be the most numerous. Maybe they're every they're all around, but you just don't see them as often. Yeah, don't, and yeah. and it really depends on where you're at. In in open ag areas in the Delta, you know, you don't see them quite as often as we used to. Obviously, in the hills and other areas of the state, yeah, wood ducks are very prevalent. Um, my only experience with ducks is that the the park that I walk in in Pearl every afternoon has a <laughs> has a pond and, and we see them there. Um, all right, so let me ask this: they um, they're out on the the grass and they're picking through the grass. Are they looking for? Is it seeds? Is it little tiny bugs? I'm just curious as to because the other day the whole not whole flock but you know ten fifteen of them they're all kind of going through there, almost pecking at the ground. What what are they Both. eating? Both, okay, both yes, bugs. Yes, they're, they're after vegetation of different different types of seeds and also insects. Okay, all right, but yeah, so that's a lot of fun. I mean, sometimes you gotta. It's always fun to sort of walk, and they, you know, sometimes they almost defy you. Like I'm not getting out of your way, uh, but they're big enough to me where I'll get out of their way if they don't get out of mine. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. We've got uh, Eric in Wilkerson County. Good morning, Eric. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. Uh, I got a quick comment and question. Uh, uh, first time I ever heard y'all program this morning. I've enjoyed it. It's been comical and informative. Thank you. Uh, uh, my question is, I'm a white-tailed deer hunter, and I've always had friends tell me that they've seen scrapes, and I've run across a couple of scrapes in the woods that seem to be year-round. It don't seem to be just during the rutting period or prior to or after and I've set a camera on them, and I seem to get all sorts of pictures of all wildlife, coyotes, bobcats, uh, uh, visiting a scrape. Do you have any comments on do whitetails do this year-round? I'm not familiar with that. I know, you know, in, in hunting in the, in the past, scrapes, you know, you start seeing scrapes sometimes in August, and they'll, they'll scrape all the way up into February and March. Uh, as far as year-round, I guess I hadn't spent enough time in the woods, you know, July and August, uh, that time of year, to see whether they're scraping or not. But, and I don't, I don't guess that would be uncommon. And we're going to have that's a perfect intro. November the thirtieth, William McKinley's going to be on our show to talk about white-tailed deer. So, I'll try to remember to ask him that. Or if not, you have to call me back, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thank y'all very much. I've enjoyed your program and. Uh, Thanks for having me. All right, and Eric, we're on every Thursday morning at 9, and as Libby said, in a couple of weeks we'll have our deer guy on and uh, tune in, and we'll uh, maybe you can get your question answered then. Appreciate your call. Let's uh, move on next. We've got Dudley in uh, Calhoun County. Good morning, Dudley. Go ahead. Um, my question is concerning hardwoods. Um, we have set out about 75 acres of hardwoods, which now have about a 25-year growth. And the wildlife has really, it's just unbelievable what has come into the, the, wild, the wildlife that has come in. The question is that it's right on the Schooner River, and Schooner is sloughing tons of topsoil are just sloughing off into the river going into Grenada. And I wondered if hopefully would the, the hardwoods stop this sloughing 
as uh, as it continues to slough out toward the hardwood? I, I think to some extent that that probably would be the case. Is it a is it a scenario where the river uh, floods and then goes back down pretty frequently and and pretty quickly, or is it a is it a slow rise, slow fall? It's really the Schooner River has been straightened out and it's taken out the meanders and it rushes so down it very seldom floods now but it rushes down that it watch it it sloughs the sides of the schooner river and we are just really that that's why we set out the hardwoods hopefully it would help to stop the sloughing uh and it just seems like that you know that if if the wildlife is coming into this hardwood Looks like they should be some way that we could get some help with the sloughing of the river. And and that very well may be the case. And I, I guess I would start with, with NRCS uh, and, and contact your local D.C. there and let them know the issue that's going on. And if they can't help you, I'm sure they, you know, they would know who to go to or who to, who to uh, recommend that you contact as far as trying to get some assistance with that. All right. Yeah, Dudley? I'm very aware of we have talked with the uh, this is a known problem in the county. I've served on the the commission for a number of years, and it, it just seems that that when you straighten out a river, you know it needs to meander, and when you straighten it out, that's when you lose so much of the topsoil. And the main thing I guess I was concerned about is is the hardwoods, hoping that they would stop this sloughing if possible. So thank you again. I enjoy the show very much. All right. Thanks for your call, Dudley. Uh, NRCS is what, Rob? National Resource Conservation Service. Okay. And they have a they have an office in every county. Uh, and it used to be called Soil Conservation, soil conservation Service. Okay. So that's kind of right. what they do. Yeah. Very good. We need to take our final break this hour. When we get back, we've got uh, Trent on the line from Greene County. We'll get to his call. And we've got some open phone lines for your call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this break. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Lady Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Rob Ballinger, the Bottomland Hardwoods and Wetland Program Coordinator for Wildlife Mississippi. Been talking about waterfowl, but also a wide variety of topics this morning. Back to the phone lines we go as we say good morning to Trent, who's called in from Greene County. Go ahead, Trent. Good morning. Uh, enjoyed listening to your show. I just wanted to comment. I guess this is more of a uh, comment and a question. What your thoughts is on this? But uh, the gentleman that called in earlier about uh, he was having trouble with uh, he was saying that the bobcats were eating the chickens and you know hurting the turkey population. 
I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that's a, possibly a, you know, a problem in several areas. But another thing that's just my thoughts is back in the 80s, everybody trapped. You know, uh, uh, animal pelts brought a premium price. I remember coon hides back in the 80s. Some of them would bring over $30 a piece. And, you know, that was, uh, that was good income for certain people. And I think it kept uh, the coon population uh, under control. And, and certainly I think uh, that probably has a lot to do with, you know, with hurting our turkey population. And, and also uh, skunks, you know, are uh, certainly an enemy to not only turkeys but the chickens as well. And I know in Greene County, for every one bobcat, you're going to have 50 coons and you know, eight or ten skunks. So I think you're right. Uh, maybe. Yeah, bobcats get blamed for things that the, the other animals. Yeah, predation on the eggs is the big deal, isn't it? Exactly yeah. right. It's it's exactly what he's talking about: skunks and raccoons mm-hmm. and and you know, you name it. It's hard on them. And and back in the yeah. day, like he's talking about, I used to trap, and most of the coon hunters I know in this day and age don't kill the coons anymore. They tree them and and you know, move on to the next. So, yeah, the, the predation is a, is a major issue and a major problem with, with turkey populations, particularly when during the nesting season. So. All right, uh, Trent, thanks for the call. You know, I think that points out just how kind of sort of a delicate balance uh, nature really is, and you got to be careful of, you know, doing one thing and, and what, what effect it might have on, on another part of the, of the ecosystem. Yeah, even fire ants are a problem for any nesting birds and that's something, you know, you don't think about that. That's not the first thing you want to go after. But um, it's hard to even put a, put a, put your finger on how much damage fire ants do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an earlier caller. A guy was trying to get rid of squirrels in his yard, and we've had several folks call in with some suggestions. Uh, Linda from Ocean Springs, do you have one for us? Oh, my goodness, yes. Get a good cat. <laughs> All right. I have, a, I have a squirrel left on my porch every two weeks at least or every week uh my cat will catch them and and they'll be basically lay intact just laying on my porch i guess he thinks he's feeding me or something <laughs> but he, he i get a squirrel every week or two um sometimes the tail's eaten off but most of the time the squirrel's just laying there dead so all right i do not i do not have many squirrels in my yard needless to say all right. And your cat loves you. <laughs> oh, my God, my cat loves me. And I, I want to say one thing about the Chinese tallow tree. You talk about fire ants. You'll mm-hmm. never see fire ants around a Chinese tallow tree. I just love them. They keep away the fire ants. Ooh, right. I've, got, I've had some problems with Chinese tallow trees some places, too, though. They can be invasive. But in your yard, I imagine they're not causing you any problem. But they really no fire ants around them? Huh. All right. Hey, thanks, Linda, Linda. Thanks for the call. So we got uh, two votes on a cat. And again, I think uh, Dr. Major, correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of the cat laying the the dead uh, raccoon or a squirrel at the at the doorstep is that's he's done his job, and it's sort of like presenting it to his owner and saying, you know, hey, look what I've done. Give me, give me some. I don't know, a treat or something. I guess it's, it's a prize. And, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's a snake. Sometimes it's uh, something else. But yeah, a cat knows what it's doing. The, the the funny thing is when there's an indoor outdoor cat, I've heard some cat owners say that they they bring the uh, the prize inside, which uh, is not real. <laughs> it's not yeah, good I've, if it's still alive. <laughs> yeah, I've had that happen before. A cat brings in a live half dead mouse. You do not want that in your house. 
Uh, Rob, is there a way that the average citizen can uh, become involved and help out with uh, with conservation efforts here in Mississippi? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can. You can uh, we are a membership driven organization, and so you you can join our membership, uh, join our organization, or, or there, you know, uh, and help us to accomplish more. You know, put more habitat on the ground and and keep on doing what we're doing. Uh, so do you have, uh, is there a website or something that you might could direct people to if they're interested in the work of Wildlife Mississippi and want to know more about it? We do. It's www.wildlifemiss, which is M-I-S-S dot O-R-G. Okay. Um, and so um, what about, I think I, we mentioned duck season uh, is about to open. D- uh, does that uh, do a, a good job of helping keep a duck population in check? And uh, what are your thoughts on, on duck hunting? Well, I'm, I'm I am an avid duck hunter, and uh, you know I don't think it has a a significant impact on populations. The in, the impact on populations are, are the breeding season and the, and the condition of the breeding grounds, and obviously the 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 shape that we send them back to the breeding grounds in here. Uh, and so, yes, season is upon us. As a matter of fact, the youth season opens this Saturday. Okay. So uh, that would be for you know. 16 and under, or excuse me, 15 and under, and then actually our, the season for everybody else opens the Friday after Thanksgiving, stays open for three days, and then closes, and then opens back up December 1st for three days and closes, and then December 6th, it'll open up and stay open all the way through uh, January 28th. And uh, in the terms of degree of difficulty in hunting, where where would you think a duck would, would fit in? Is it a difficult uh prey to, to hunt uh, folks make it difficult sometimes uh, <laughs> you know it it it's what you make of it okay. uh, it, it can be difficult uh the, the key thing that i always tell everybody especially young people is you you can be the best caller in the world and have the most expensive decoys but if you're not where the ducks want to be you're probably wasting your time all right that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. And from contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Rob Ballinger, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB Season Pass. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.